job. God will take care of us, and he obviously will take us all the way through. He'll never leave us, nor forsake us. And today, tonight, we are going to go back to the book of Philippians again. We were there this morning in chapter 3. We're going back to chapter 3 tonight, just a couple verses at the end of the chapter. And we're just going to read verses 20 and 21. So will you please follow along your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for thy word and for the promises of the word of God and, and a, a great reminder and promise. Verse 20 tells us, Father, the perspective of our life that we are in this world but we're not of this world and our citizenship and our, our first loyalty is to heaven. We're looking for our Savior. He's coming back for us and then the great promise that he will change this earthly mortal body that it might be like his glorious body. We're thankful for that. Thankful for the power, the working, where he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And we thank thee and pray for the help of the Holy Spirit tonight looking into the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible shows very clearly <clears throat> that the body of Jesus Christ that came out of the tomb was quite different than the body that went into the tomb, um, the one that was buried. Philippians 3.21 refers to it as his glorious body, a body of glory. The idea of that word glorifier or glorious is glorified, majestic, and certainly it re refers to his resurrected body. So just some things tonight from the scripture um, concerning Christ's resurrected body, a little bit about our body, and then our glorified body. And we're going to have it one of those days, one of these days. And notice in, in verse 20 it says, our conversation, and that's a word that certainly has changed in meaning since it was translated back in the 1611. This is actually the word, we get the word political or politics. It's therefore, it's the idea of our citizenship. Our life is in heaven. Um, our conduct, our lifestyle. And yes, even our, our ultimate citizenship is there. So we are like strangers in a foreign country, a foreign land. And certainly the, the world gets more foreign all the time to the believer. And so, and we're looking for the Lord. We're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he promises, the Bible says, that he will change our body. And we'll take a look at that at near the end of the message. But let's think for just a moment of Christ's glorified body. Let's turn to Luke 24. I want to see some things about the earthly or the resurrected body of Christ that was different, that were different, as I mentioned at the very beginning, at the outset, that the body that came out of the grave 
was quite different than the body that went into the grave. Now, there were certain similarities, and we'll see that, but it was vastly different. There were uh, characteristics of him after he rose that were not there when before he rose, and so it will be with us. There are things about this body now uh, that are going to be far different when we get our resurrected body. So just some things I, I, I put down notes here. Number one, his glorified body was a body with substance. All right, let's take a look at Luke chapter 24. It was a body that had substance. Um, I'll get to the right chapter here. And 23 is Jesus is on the cross. In 24, he's, re he's risen from the grave. So, in verse 36 of Luke 24, And as they thus spake, the disciples, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Shalom. The traditional Jewish greeting. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit, an apparition, a ghost. They didn't think it was really him. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Now one characteristic, one similarity between the body that he went into the tomb with and the one that he came out of is his body, even his glorified body, bore the marks of the cross. The marks in his hands, the marks in his feet. And then of course later on, he would show Thomas his side, and so the scar, the mark, was still there from where the spear had entered into his side. But notice what else he says. Um, it is I myself, verse 39, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Right, so it was a body of substance, flesh and bones. So it was solid. All right, they could... You know, they could touch it. They could handle it. Um, secondly, it was a body with senses. In this particular, um, it says in, in the same passage, part of the passage, in Luke 24, his body was capable of speech, taste, and touch. All right, notice, again, he showed him his hands and feet, handled me, see, touch me. He could touch them. They could touch him. And while they yet... Believe not for joy, verse 41, and wondered, he said to them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. So, and said unto, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you. So he taught them, he spoke to them. And so he could hear, he could see, he could taste, he could touch. All right? And so some similarities and yet some differences as well. It was a spiritual body. All right. Look at Matt, look at Luke 24. Luke 24, back to in verse 28. This is when the Lord, the Lord Jesus appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. He joined in with them, was walking with them, and the Bible says that they did not recognize him. Now, verse, so verse 28, And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. So he indicated them he was going to keep going. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. 
And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And so a difference, there's one of the differences between the body that he went into the grave with and the one that he came out of the grave with is what 1 Corinthians 15 refers to as the spiritual body. It's still a body, but it has a quality that just a mere physical body doesn't have. He could disappear, he could vanish out of their sight. Not so. Not only could he vanish, he could reappear. All right, John 20. John chapter 20. Take a look there. The disciples again is referring with them to them as they are meeting together. So let's pick it up in John chapter 20. And again, I don't think that we can understand that what was going through the hearts and minds of the disciples. Um, there, there was already talk, you know, that he had risen from the dead. Rumors were going around. In fact, they weren't rumors, but the disciples weren't sure. In fact, in one place, I think it's in Mark, where it says the, the women told, them, told the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead, and it says that their words were to them as idle tales, and they believed not. They didn't believe that he had risen from the dead at first. All right, now, that was the same thing in Luke 24. They thought they saw ghosts. Well, here in John 20, verse 19, then the same day at evening, in other words, the same day that he rose, being the first day of the week where the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now, we need to, now get that. Their doors were shut. They were locked. Where they gathered for fear of the Jews. They, feared, they, feared, they were afraid they would be taken next. And so they were kind of in hiding, meeting together, but secretly. And while that was happening, it says, the, the, near the end of the verse, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. All right. Now let's skip down to verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. We went over that a couple weeks ago, last week. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. In other words, Notice, reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. See, the wound was still there. One bleeding and all that, but it was still there. Be not faithless, but believing. And of course, you know how um, the rest of that went. But notice that even though they could see the marks, they could put his hand in his side, yet he simply appeared in the midst of them, passed right through the doors, through the walls, without, you know, without any problem. So, um, that was one of the major differences um, 
about the body that came out of the tomb as opposed to the one that went in. By the way, even the moment of the moment of his resurrection, he arose in that glorified body. He was he had already risen when the angel came and rolled away the stone. He was already gone. All right, and so he didn't. You know, the angel didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled away the stone to let the world in, let people in to see what was taking place. All right, a couple other things about the body. It was a body that ascended. All right, Acts chapter one. Let's look at that for just a moment. A body that ascended back into heaven. We can't do that. Uh, we. I mean, we don't have the power, but we don't have, we can't. This body that we have right now can't ascend into heaven. All right, we're going to hang on to that thought. We'll show you later on. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, that is the disciples, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So he's ascending, right? Not like... When we go up, all right, they could actually see him go. So it was a gradual ascent. It wasn't in a, a moment and a twinkling of an eye like ours will be, all right? We'll be here one instant and there the next, all right? That wasn't true. With Jesus, when he went up, they watched him go until he, you know, until he couldn't see him anymore. Um, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So, in other words, it's no use looking up, because he, he's gone. He's gone back to heaven. And implying is, what is implied here is, you will not see him again until he comes back. But not in this way. Obviously, they've already seen him because they've died and they, they have gone to be with the Lord in heaven. So it's a body that ascended. Um, all right, then let's take a look at one other thing. In Romans chapter 6, his body was an eternal, immortal body. All right, the body of Jesus that came out of the grave was immortal and eternal body of Jesus Christ on earth was perfect, it was sinless, and yet it was mortal. He could die, and he did die on the cross. He, he really, literally died. Okay, it wasn't an act, it wasn't symbolic, it was literal death. But, now, but in Romans chapter 6, the Bible tells us that his body is, is eternal and immortal. Uh, now, if we believe, Romans 6, 8, now, if we be dead with him, it, sorry, let me start again. Now, if we be dead with Christ, and that's positional as a believer, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death no, hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And so because of that truth, we're to re reckon ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. We covered that, um, I believe, also recently. Now, so he died once, and he'll never die again. His body is eternal and immortal. All right, so keep that thought for later. And let's take a look at just some things about 
our vile body. In Philippians, it says, it calls it a vile body. Jesus will change our vile body. And the word, we think of the word vile, it, it's, not, it, it's not a word that means evil or wicked. It's a word that means earthly, lowly, as contrasted with heavenly. Right. So let's see a couple things. Um, three passages about this. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Not so much, not, gonna, not really talking tonight about the makeup of our body, you know, physical and chemical and all that. Not really concerned about that. But I'm really looking at what the scripture says about our body right now. As believers, there are certain things the scripture says about our body. Um, and there's a whole bunch, there's a bunch more. But I want us to just f think about three things tonight. The first is in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. <clears throat> Verse 14. Talking about us, us here on earth, and particularly the people of God, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear it. And we won't talk about the second part tonight, really looking mainly interested in the first part of that verse. The spirit of a man, the spiritual part of man, will, that is, is able to sustain the word sustain means to hold, to seize, or to endure his infirmity. So that verse, and there's many other scriptures that speak about that same principle, is that our spirit is, can overcome the flesh and physical infirmities, right? Through the Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of God working with our spirit, giving us power, giving us strength, we can overcome infirmities, right? And we can serve God. And I almost started to say what the world says. We can serve God in spite of our infirmities. That's not really biblical. We serve God because of our infirmities. Second Corinthians 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh and all that. He came to realize that. That the weaker he was, the more powerful he was because of the power of Christ. And that's really, I, I really believe in, in what I'm reading today in modern Christianity, that that whole concept is being lost in our, in our world, even among so-called believers and churches. Uh, this idea of overcoming the flesh by the Spirit, overcoming infirmities, and really it's not, it's not talking, the word infirmity here is not referring to sin. The word infirmity here is talking about physical infirmities, weaknesses, afflictions, that, that we can overcome those spiritually by the power of God. And in fact, we need to realize that we do. Anything we do for the Lord involves overcoming or the Spirit sustaining our infirmities, okay? Um, just, just want to plant that thought in your mind. And so when we are considering what God wants us to do, and we're looking at the scriptures, and we're serving God, uh, we are not supposed to focus on our ability or inability, but rather focus on what the, what the will of God is, trusting that where he calls, the, you know, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it, First Thessalonians 5 and verse 24. 
and there's many examples. I mean, um, and I, I think sometimes it, uh, we have kind of glossed over something when Moses and God were having their encounter. And Moses said, I can't speak. God didn't say, yes, you can. And that's the, sometimes we say, well, the Bible says he was mighty in words and deeds. And so he was. Well, you know, God, God didn't argue on the point with Moses because uh, Moses couldn't speak well enough. None of us can speak well enough. The point is, God says, I will be with your mouth. So it really, it doesn't really have anything to do with our ability or lack thereof. When God calls us to do something, he enables us to do it. So that's the idea of this. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. Okay? All right. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The body that we have now. Um, we need to realize that, <coughs> or real, that, um, our, that everything physical is not sinful. That this body that God gave us for our spirit and soul to live in is a marvelous creation of God. And so here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about this physical body. Yes, this vile body, this, this lowly and um, uh, uh, temporal and, and physical and um, mortal with all of its, you know, with its weakness and everything like that, and, most, and that all came because of the fall, and yet it's still a body that God wants to use, all right? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? All right, so several things that Paul points out there in the form of questions about this body. I'm talking about this one that you're looking at and the ones I'm looking at, our earthly body. As believers, it says several things. First of all, it says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He lives in there, all right? That's what it says. In a real, literally, not figuratively or anyway. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, literally lives inside the body of the believer. It's his temple. And so then it says this, which is in you, which they're referring to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in you, all right, which ye have of God. In other words, God put it there the moment we're saved, and ye are not your own. And so we have to understand that. We are not our own. Do you hear the protests that are going on in our country where they say, it's my body. I'll do with it what I want. If I'm a, if I'm a man and I want to marry a man, it's my body. I can do what I want. If I decide I want, don't want to be a man anymore, I'm going to be a woman now, it's my body. I can do what I want. Or a woman says, if I don't want this baby, I can kill it. Well, they wouldn't say that. I can abort it because it's my body. There's a whole other argument there. It's not her body. That's a whole other thing. The baby is not, is not her body anyway. But no, it's not our body. Notice what it says. You are not your own. All right? We don't belong to ourselves anymore. Right? And that's a great thing. That's not a bad thing. For, here's the, here's the reason. Why is that true? 
For they are bought with a price. Right? And that price is the precious blood of Jesus. Right? He bought us. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So that tells us tells me a couple things. First of all, if God says to do it, then it means it can be done. And somehow these mortal and Paul refers to them as vessels of clay, you know, let's say what we are. We're not gold, we're not silver, we're dirt, all right? We're, we're vessels of clay. You know, God made us up. For man, what? How do he form them? Out of the dust of the ground, all right? But they belong to God. And we need to, we need to realize that it's his. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit. So, number one, it can be done. And then secondly, it needs to be done. God says to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, G-O-D apostrophe S, which makes that a possessive noun, which means it's talking about the fact we are God's possession. Spirit, soul, and body. We belong to him. We know that. But we need to be reminded of that. Some of the prophets in the Old Testament, I think about Elijah who said, talking about God, whose I am and whom I serve. You know? So first, what am I? Who am I? Well, I am his, first and foremost. I'm his. I belong to him. All right? He has all the rights. I have none. All right? I have responsibilities. No, not rights. I have responsibilities to follow him, to do what he says. He has all the rights. He has all the control, all the power, all the command. He has everything, all right? And that's a marvelous thing. There's nothing greater than to submit the control of ourselves unto God. And so the very, the very famous scripture is where Romans 12 tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And so that's what he's talking about. All right, the third thing about our body now is found again in the book of Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> A verse that is quoted often. A verse that I hope we're not misquoting or misapplying. see what it says. Philippians 4.13. Most, a lot of you could quote it without even looking at it. Paul said this. He wrote, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So therefore I can break the world record for the 100 yard dash. Right? Because I can do all things. I'm afraid that's how people look at that verse. Whatever I want to do, I can do. It's not what it's talking about. Context is suffering, um, abounding, uh, serving the Lord, um, doing what God calls to do. That's what it's all about. Um, we can do whatever God wants us to do, calls us to do, or whatever the will of God is, we can do it all. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And in the which there is a pronoun referring to Christ. Not the things which strengthen me, but Christ which strengtheneth me. Right? 
So we need to keep those things. We have to be, make sure that we apply this. And I've heard people say, well, I need to do this and so on and so forth. And I know I can do it because, well, it may, maybe maybe it's if, it's if it's God's will, you can. It's not just a blanket statement. Anything I feel like doing, I can do it because, no, that's not what it's saying. All right? It's saying what the things that please Christ, the things that he wants us to do. Okay? So we need to think about that, but, but there is, there is. Whatever God calls us to do, we can do, okay? So those are just a few things about the, uh, the body that we're living in right now. They're wonderful things, and we need to be reminded of them, and we need to use, let the Lord use our body to serve him, whatever that may be, however that may be. All right, then the last thing, our glorified body. <clears throat> let's take a look. We're in Philippians uh, chapter, let's go back to chapter 3. Again, here's the promise. Verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. It's going gonna, gonna, to be change, or the word here is the word for change or exchange. Right? We're going to lay aside one and take on another. Um, he'll change our vile body. That it may be fashioned or made or, or formed like unto his glorious body. Right? Like some of the things that we've seen about his body. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians with this in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this is, again, as we mentioned earlier, yes, we understand that our lives have been affected by sin. Um, we can never be in this world what we could have been if Adam and Eve had never sinned and the human race would have been confirmed in righteousness. There were there are just things that we would have been, that would have been accomplished that we would have experienced and seen and done that can't be now. Even even with Christ redeeming us, our body is still and there's still sin. I understand that. All right. The Bible talks in Romans about the the, the, the adoption, the re redemption of our body. All right. This body is not going to go to heaven. All right, um, and thank God for that. We would be misfits in heaven, everything perfect, and us there like we are now. All right, <laughs> you know, right? Really? I mean, it's just. I mean, who'd want to, brother? You know, some of us, brother Wesley. I mean, who do you want to go to heaven with a cane and hobbling around all through eternity? You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm not picking on you, brother. I don't want to be go to heaven like, um, I can't see anything. <laughs> I need these glasses. You know, uh, <laughs> it's not going to be that way. Praise the Lord. All right? It's going to be like his glorious body. We won't need a hearing aid. We, will, we won't need anything like that. All right? Because we're going to be changed. But let's take a, let's see. Verse 50. Of 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, that is this mortal body of flesh and blood, talking about the natural body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now, a way that we can look at those terms, corruption, incorruption, today, we use the word perishable and non-perishable. 
right? The bodies we have now are definitely perishable, all right? We know that. Behold, I show you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we won't all die. We won't all experience physical death, but we shall all be changed. We're going to be transformed, changed in a moment, all right? You've heard this, but think about it. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, that is the trumpet announcing the end of the age. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. First Thessalonians 4 specifies the dead in Christ, because that's all that's going up. The only dead who will rise at the rapture are the saved dead. They shall be raised incorruptible, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So why is that? Well, because we can't go to an incorruptible, immortal place in a corruptible, mortal body. Revelation 21 tells us who won't enter into that city. Only those who are written in the book of life. So, And we can't go there like this. We have to be changed. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That'll be, we will experience the ultimate victory over death, right? Even if we die, we're going to be raised, incorruptible, immortal, eternal, perfect. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It doesn't have it anymore. For the Christian, death has lost its sting. Right? It, and it really has. And, and would to God that with, by his power and his will that we as Christians would face death like that. I think like Paul faced it and Peter faced that. You know, read about their testimony and what they said. You know, it's time. I'm ready to be offered. And Peter says, I, I wrote Second Peter because I'm about to be, you know, I'm gone. I'm, I'm about to pull off this tabernacle, as the Lord has showed me. And I endeavor after my decease. In other words, he said, I'm writing this, so after I'm gone, you'll still keep going in the truth. Right? And even and Paul said that too. His greatest fear and was that they would turn away from the truth after he was gone. But he said, remember, like today, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. Right? Oh, wish, wish, oh, we could just get that into our minds and hearts about our life. All right. So, oh, grave, where's thy victory? Isn't any. Because the grave can only keep us for a while, and some of us may never even have to go to the grave. He might come while we're still alive. So he says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin. That's the only, that's death's sting. But sin has been abolished. Sin has been defeated. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it. We have the victory. And 
And so as we go through our lives, I mean, you know, we have just a couple of young fellows, and I know I've, I talked, I've talked, I talked to, y- to young people, and you know, and they just, they just think they're going to be here forever. I mean, so we got to understand, maybe not. <laughs> all right. Um, and as we get older, we think, you know, right? Yes, our, our life is passing. Things are happening. Um, I think we have to be honest. I mean, I found out this week, carrying water. You know, you know, we're slowing down. We're getting weaker. We're not what we used to be, and that's okay. God says that's how it's going to be, right? But we're getting, we're getting closer. We're getting closer to our immortality. We're getting closer to eternity. And so this, therefore, in light of what we have to look forward to, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. (coughs) And so Paul, and he, he refers to himself, when he wrote to Philemon, he referred to himself as Paul the aged. He was an older guy, and he was probably, say this the right way, he was probably prematurely aged. I mean, if you were went through the stuff Paul did, you'd, you'd look older, you'd, you'd feel older than you are too. But anyway, so, um, but, he, but as he got there, he calls himself Paul the aged, but yet he said, this like the scripture this morning, I press toward the mark. I mean, I'm going to give that final lunge. I'm going to give that final effort. As a race, as a racer, they give the, the kick. That's what we were, that's what us cross-country runners. We, the coach talked about the, that final kick as you get, look, get close to the finish line. Now, so physically, are we slowing down? Maybe, but not spiritually. Right? The Bible says in the Second Corinthians, though our, the out, our outward man perish, the inner man is renewed day by day. So there's no, I don't see anything in the scripture that our spirit has to get old. All right, It's renewed day by day. Then I'll just remind you of this. The last, the last part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 says, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it's eternal. Our body will be eternal, just like his body will be, is eternal. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And the word comfort there is the idea of encourage. Encourage one another to keep going for the Lord. And then one final passage, and that's 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, simply says, Behold. And behold means to stop and take notice. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And again, everybody in this room tonight professes salvation in Christ. And, if, and I'm, I have no reason to doubt any of you. So he's talking about people like us. The manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What great love, right? That we should be called the sons of God. And we are. The idea of called there is, is the idea of named, right? Sons of God. 
Um, somebody asked me, I was talking to somebody, I, maybe they asked me where they did, I just felt the need to clarify something, because some people don't like, you know, a lot of the, mo the New English translations change sons to children, because it's sexist, you know, sons. They say, well, anyway, so I said, well, I said to one person one time, um, who died for us? The person said, well, Jesus. I said, who was he? Uh, he was the son of God. Right, he wasn't the daughter of God, right? If he would have been the daughter of God, we'd be called daughters of God. <laughs> But Jesus is the Son of God, and so we're called spiritual sons because we're like him. Okay? I mean, that's maybe not a big thing. I think it is a big thing. You know, I'm not going to apologize anymore for the... Any, I never did, but certainly especially not now for what the Bible says. The Bible says we're sons of God because Jesus was the Son of God. We're spiritual sons of God. All right? Whether we're male, female, whatever. Well, that's all there is. I was thinking about young old. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, yeah, I was thinking about men, women, boys, girls. <laughs> okay. And he says, beloved, get that. Now he says, now are we the sons of God. You know, we don't start becoming one when we get to heaven. We're sons of God right now. All right. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Like we don't, we don't know what we're going to look like, or what, what, what our body will be like because we have never seen it. But we know this, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right, we'll see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, um, even as he is pure. He's, we're going to see him. And so, and one of the points that John is making here, and he, of course, he wrote the book of Revelation about the new city, is that we have to be like him, or we couldn't be there. And we have to be like him because we couldn't see him as he is in all of his glory unless we were transformed. And so God's going to do that. And so everything in heaven is going to be immortal and eternal and sinless and all those things. We're, our, our, our sin will be gone. Our sin nature will be gone. I mean, we couldn't sin if we wanted to. <laughs> we won't want to. Um, some goofy so-called preacher is now bringing up the possibility that we might be able to sin in heaven. It's like, get, get, you know, get guys, I mean, get a life. I mean, really, why do they have to try and invent these things? But anyway, we're not going to sin up there. Seriously? Anyway, praise the Lord, we won't. All right, well, I guess that's all, all right? But let's just live in light of what we have to look forward to, all right? And just keep going on for the Lord. Father, thanks so much for our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus, for all he's done for us, the great love that, that you had for us, Father, and that Jesus had for us, that he died to make us, to give us power to become the sons of God. We're thankful for that. Dear God, help us to live accordingly, even as we've looked at tonight, to realize that our conversation, that is our citizenship, is in heaven. We belong to thee. We belong to Christ. And help us to live that way. Help us that the world would see that in us, even though the Bible says they can't discern it, they can't understand it. But help us in these days in which we live, as we look forward to the coming of our dear Savior. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books, and let's rejoice together as we sing. Let's stand. Number 513, He the Pearly Gates will open. Yes, people talk about the pearly gates almost in joking and in a very flippant way. And yet the Bible says the city does have 12 gates. 
and every gate is a pearl. And those gates are huge, according to the book of Revelation. So, 513. He the pearly gates will open. Let's sing all four of these precious verses um, this night.
purchased my redemption and forgave me all my sin. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for thy great love and for the precious love and the precious blood of Christ that he shed for us to wash away our sins and to save us and give us eternal life. Thank you, Father, for this day, for the blessings of today. We ask thy watch care over us as you go out from this place tonight. Lord God, help us to be faithful, to serve thee, to walk with thee, and, Father, to know thee more and more each day. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.